in pictures that you and I can understand. So as we watch Jesus in the Gospels, we say to ourselves, I want to let Jesus be my example on how to love, how to serve, how to advocate, what to value, so that we pursue the things that are, make us like our Heavenly Father. Some kids look just like their parents. You know exactly what family they belong to because of the resemblance. It's so strong. Well, today, Pastor Daniel explains that this should be what you aim for in your walk with the Lord. You should want to look like Jesus. You'll learn that the more you walk through life and step with Him, the more you'll become like Him. Then the people around you will see who God is because of what they see in you. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in 1 Timothy chapter 6 as he begins his message, The Promised King. Well, on behalf of my bride Lynn and our kids, the entire Crossroads staff and the men and women here at Crossroads, I just want to wish you all a very happy and Merry Christmas So I don't know about you, but when you think back about Christmas, everyone has memories associated with Christmas. I realize everyone had different experiences. Unfortunately for some, you know, the Christmas memories are are not welcome memories. There was just a lot of pain and brokenness. And if that's the case for you, I'm deeply sorry. I know for me, Christmas was like, uh, it was an extravaganza of sorts, mostly because I'm all Italian from New Jersey. And so... It was just like a week-long festival of food and crazy people. You know, like, like every day there was just so many people there. I, I always laugh now because like when, when you're younger, everyone's just aunt and uncle. But when you get older, you realize you weren't related to any of these people. Like they were like neighbors who got adopted. I found out later my, my aunts were my, technically my cousins. Not in like a weird way. It was just like they were older. They're my first cousin, but they called them aunt. And, and like... Uh, in the week leading up to Christmas, every day was just like full on, hundred people, food, crazy, food coma was like a lifestyle. And on Christmas Eve was really when it really got really amazing. So we go to my, my grandma's house and because I'm all Italian, we, we ate the seven fish, you know, uh, and I'll never forget when uh, Lynn and I first got married, she was like, I'm going to do the seven fish, but she couldn't think of seven. So she gave me like the little gummy fish, the little box. Like, here's, I gave you six, I gave you the gummy fish. And it was just so cute. I'm like, oh, these are great. I love these. But, but like, it was just Christmas Eve, we'd be at my grandma's house and there'd be just so many people and so much fun. And, and it was just such a powerful thing. But what's funny is, is as you get older, of course, Christmas changes, right? Where it, it becomes normal. You lose that wonder that children have when it comes to Christmas time. And I, and, and I feel super blessed because, like, as I have kids, Lynn and I have three kids now, you know, get to see Christmas again through the, the wonder of the eyes of a child is a very powerful thing. And I'm reminded, of course, that Jesus said that you need to become like a little child to enter his kingdom. 
Because there's something so beautiful about the innocence of children. Like the, the why, they, hadn't, they haven't seen everything. They, didn't, uh, they haven't let the skepticism of life and all the, the failed promises of everybody kind of color how they see things. And, and I just was thinking about how beautiful it is that for us as older people to be able to experience Christmas in a fresh way with those eyes of wonder. The fact that God would take on flesh and dwell among us. It's been one of my big prayers this Christmas season that God would give me a, almost like a revolution in what Christmas is all about. That I would, even though I've been a pastor for over 20 years and been following Jesus for a while, that I, I, I would be awed in fresh ways for what Christmas is all about. And I, I've been praying that for you all as well. Because I realize that sometimes Christmas could just be another thing we have to get done and not have our hearts opened and our minds blown by the reality that God is with us and God loves us. And so because we know the story, because we've heard the story, because this story has impacted our lives and our world so substantially, the question then becomes, what do we do now? What should our lives look like because of the fact that Jesus came to the earth? And so I want to talk with you a little bit about that. I want to talk to you about what should we do in light of who Jesus is? And in order to get at that, I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to take verses 11 to 16 together. So if you turn there to 1 Timothy, it's in between 2 Thessalonians and 2 Timothy. Maybe you're like, well, listen, Fusco, I don't really like uh, books, so you're already holding your phone, so open up your favorite browser window, type in, type in your Bible app, your browser, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. We've been doing this series here at Crossroads called The Promised King, looking at Jesus and his birth, him being the promised king, and the gifts that he brings, and we've been reflecting on hope and joy and peace and love. So I really wanted us to be able to close our time and really put an, an exclamation mark on Christmas Eve by looking at a passage where they talk about Jesus being that king. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 to 16, does a great job of that. So look at what it says. I'm going to read you the whole passage. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 says, But you, O man of God... Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were called and have confessed that good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you, verse 13, in the sight of God, who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. And all of God's people said, Amen. Now, you see how by the time we get to the end of the text, we start seeing Jesus as the king and what that means. And we're going to explore that together. But really what we see here is there are three things that all of us should do in response to 
the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, the reality of Jesus. The first thing, and I'm pulling this right out of verse 12, is that you need to fight the good fight. You need to fight the good fight, right? I get that right in verse 12, fight the good fight. Now, what's interesting is you might say, well, what's the good fight, Fusco? And if you were to ask around, if you were to go on your social media, of course, you'll get all sorts of answers to what the good fight is. Some people would say you should be fighting the government right now. You should be fighting the medical professionals. You should be acquiescing to the government and the medical professionals. You should make sure you root for the Seahawks because they're kind of lousy this year. There's all sorts of fights. You fight the school board. Fight, you know, everyone says what you should fight. And what beauty is, is the Apostle Paul doesn't leave what the good fight is to chance. He actually explains it all to us. And I realize all those things, what, all the things I mentioned, there might be merit to different things there. But that is not what we should do in response to Jesus. Because the good fight, notice what it says. Fight the good fight of what? Of faith. See, what God really cares about in your life and in my life is that we choose to follow Jesus who is the promised king and we allow Jesus to lead us into a life that has been changed. And I'm here to tell you, that is a fight because everything in life is actually designed to not make you follow Jesus. So we fight for this fight of faith. Now you might say to yourself, well, Fusco, I want to fight the fight of faith. How do I do it? Well, I'm so happy that you asked. Because look at the Apostle Paul explains how do we fight the good fight of faith in verse 11. It says, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Now, I love this because Paul is writing to a young man named Timothy. And Timothy was somebody who Paul had been like a spiritual father to. Timothy was Paul's protege, so to speak. And Timothy was struggling in his journey. And so Paul wrote him not only this letter, but another letter, what we call 2 Timothy. And he's explaining to him that if you want to fight the good fight of faith, first you have to flee certain things so that you can then pursue other things. So what Paul is doing is saying, Timothy, in order for you to fight the good fight of faith, the first thing you have to do is you have to flee these things. You may say, well, Fusco, what are these things? Well, if you were to read a little bit earlier, because we dropped in at verse 11, right before this, in the, in the first part of chapter 6, Paul really tells Timothy that there's two things that he needs to flee. One is error, believing the wrong things, and two is greed. Now, isn't that a prophetic word for the Christmas season? Because so, and and listen, I like presents like the next person, but so much of Christmas is about materialism, right? And he's like, Paul's like, no, no, you need to flee error, wrong beliefs about who God is, what the Bible is all about, what life is. You have to flee error, and then you need to flee greed. And once you flee these things, things that you had maybe been putting your, your energy into, it frees up now energy for you to pursue different things. And what's beautiful is the Apostle Paul gives us all of these characteristics of the things that have eternal value that we should be pursuing once we flee certain things that hold us back. Now look at this list. And now all of us, we can find in light of who Jesus is, these are things we should be pursuing right now. Notice first, he says, flee these things and pursue righteousness. 
That word righteousness means all the things that pertain to what is right. To be biblically specific, Jesus gives righteousness as a gift to those who believe in him. So to pursue righteousness not only means I believe in Jesus, but now I am pursuing a life that mirrors the life of Jesus, the righteousness that God gives. So instead of spending our energy on certain things, now, oh, I'm spending my time pursuing righteousness. When was the last time you said, I'm not going to do that because I'm spending my time pursuing righteousness? See, that's what the Christian life is all about. I used to do this, but now I have this extra energy because I'm not bothering with that stuff. I'm pursuing righteousness. And not only righteousness, next it says godliness. I love that. God-likeness. That's the goal. Then you might say to yourself, well, Fusco, how am I supposed to know what God-likeness is? Oh, it's easy. Look at Jesus. The word became, God took on flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. That's what the Apostle John said. Jesus came to bring the characteristics of God out into the open in pictures that you and I can understand. So as we watch Jesus in the Gospels, we say to ourselves, I want to let Jesus be my example on how to love, how to serve, how to advocate, what to value. So that we pursue the things that are, make us like our heavenly father. As I always like to say, Christians should be chip off the old blocks. I was just thought someone, someone saw me and my daughter Maranatha. And my daughter Maranatha is like a beautiful, non-dreadlock, non-bearded version of me. And someone's like, oh, she is totally your daughter. And I started laughing. I'm like, Yeah. You know, she, we took a picture together where she, she, she drew on like a little beard and we took a little twins picture. So cute. But the thing is, is just the way, if you were to see my daughter Maranatha, you'd be like, oh, that's Fusco's daughter. When people see your life, they should say, that's a son or daughter of the king. That's God's kid. Because we are taking on the attributes of our heavenly father. But it doesn't only say righteousness and godliness. Look what else it says. Faith. We should be pursuing faith. Now, of course, faith, we believe in God and we, and we are born again and justified because of the finished work of Jesus. But pursuing faith means that we actually activate or put feet on our faith that we walk out in real time, in real life. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you in the last six months freaked out about something that never happened? Three of us? Oh, yeah, now, now I was like, oh, no, no. See, like... like but with the hindsight that's 2020, you look back and you're like, why was I so freaking out about it? that? Never happened. And then you realize I should have trusted God in a situation. Now, the reason we don't walk in faith is the future is unknown to us and we don't know what's going to happen. And left up to our own devices, we go down the rabbit hole of all the worst things that could go on. But when we pursue faith, we say, I do not know what tomorrow holds. And if left up to my own devices, I'm going to freak out because I don't know what's going to happen but I actually do know the person who holds tomorrow. And I know that no matter what happens, God's good. He's going to do a good work. And that's how we pursue faith in real time. So before we know it, we're, we're living into the reality that Jesus is real and that God has a plan, even though I have no clue what that plan might be. And all of a sudden our life changes. See, the good fight is living a, a life of faith in the midst of a world full of doubt. But not only that, notice next, love. We have to pursue love. The love that we're talking about here is that self-sacrificial love. Listen, I'm here to tell you, left up to our own devices, humanity does not live with a self-giving love. 
It's only when we experience it from Jesus that we say, I wanna choose to live this out in the world. I wanna share of what God has given me so that others can be blessed. We pursue love. Notice the next one. Everyone look down at your Bibles. Pursue patience. <laughs> Circle that in your neighbor's Bible right there. You gotta pursue patience. Because I know what's gonna happen. You're gonna go to Christmas Eve dinner and you're always hoping, man, I hope Uncle Johnny ain't there. He's a pain in the rump. Now, if you're Uncle Johnny, I'm sorry. They didn't tell me about you. I just knew. No, I'm just kidding. But like so much of life, we have our own sense of timing, our own sense of what we want, when we want it. But really, patience is the ability to rest in God when God's timing is different. And I'm quite sure that for all of us, there is the need to pursue patience right now. And then the last quality that we should be pursuing because of Jesus, because we want to fight the good fight, is gentleness. Now, I think every time gentleness comes up in my Bible right now, I feel like it's like God takes his, his spotlight in, in my Bible and puts it on the word gentleness because I am so aware that our culture today knows nothing of gentleness. Everybody I know is more aggressive with other people and more sensitive when it relates to them. That's our cultural issue right now. Everyone is way too sensitive about everything as it relates to themselves, but way aggressive when it relates to somebody else. So you, people come at people all the time. I can't believe they would do that. And then you say, well, I can't believe you did. Oh, how dare you say that about me? And that's our culture. All complaints, all issues, but God forbid anyone says you have an issue and then they freak out. You wounded me. Oh. And here's what I want to tell you. My, for 2,000 years in our Bibles, it says we should be gentle. What does it look like to pursue gentleness? Gentleness with yourself. Gentleness with others. Not wanting to be aggressive with others, but saying, listen, we're all in process. You got a speck in your eye, got a lumberyard in my eye. It's something that we pursue. And if you want to fight the good fight of faith, it's about leaving behind things that are not eternal, that are inconsequential in the long run and pursuing these virtues that have eternal consequences. And what's beautiful about this is notice what he says, fight the good fight of faith. This is verse 12. Lay hold of eternal life. So this fight of faith, this good fight, it's about eternity. It's not about temporary things. It's about eternal things. Now, the Apostle Paul, in his second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 to 8, his last of his writings says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I love this. The Apostle Paul's about to be martyred for his faith. And he's like telling Timothy, listen, I fought the good fight. I've kept my faith, my race. I'm on, I'm on the last lap. And I know that when my race is done, there is this crown of righteousness laid up for me. That word crown in the Greek, it's, it's a victor's crown. He knows Jesus won this race for me and he has a crown for me because I finished the race well. And not only is the crown for me, it's for all who have trusted in him. So brothers and sisters, listen, no matter where you are on that journey, say, listen, I'm running that race. I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to flee the old stuff, the stuff that holds me back, and I'm going to pursue the things that make for eternity. That's the first step. Now, look at what happens next. 
Verse 13, it says, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. Now, I want you to notice this. Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight and refers him back at the end of 12 that he confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Do you see that? And then it talks about Jesus in verse 13, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Do you see that? So Timothy had a confession. Jesus had a confession. But I don't want you to miss that. Timothy has a confession. Jesus has a confession. And actually, all of us are called to have a similar confession. But we're going to get there. But what is he saying here? He's telling Timothy something that's very important that I think he's also telling us is that you and I, we need to stay set apart. You need to stay set apart. Now, notice, I get this, verse 14, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appeared. That without spot and blameless. This talks about being set apart. Now, I think this is very, very important because every single day of all of our lives, there is this push towards conformity to something. Maybe it's to what your parents thought. Maybe it's what society thinks. And all of us are grappling with this idea that there is this push towards conformity. How many of you remember the movie Dead Poets Society? Some of you are going to be like, I never heard that one. It was a classic movie. Robin Williams, a famous actor, no longer with us. He was in that movie. And there's this great scene in there where he's a teacher at this all-boys school. And he wants to teach the boys about conformity. So he had like eight guys start walking in a circle. And within about 10 seconds, they're all walking in stride with one another. And what's amazing is you can see this all over the place. That people just kind of fall in conformity to what's going on around them. Now, here's the deal. Is that for all of us... Our culture is asking us to conform to what it wants, right? And there is a push towards conformity. Now, the only problem with conformity, of course, is as all of you already know, every single generation has got some things right and some things wrong. Can I get an amen? So I'm looking out for you. Okay, and now I'm gonna ask you a question and you have to be honest because it's church. And if you're not honest, God will judge you. No, I'm just kidding, he won't judge you. But I want you to be honest. Okay, ready? Here's the question. How many of you, when you were younger, thought your parents had no clue what was going on? Go ahead, raise your hand. Oh, yeah, a lot of hands. And then a lot of people are like, my mom is right there. My dad's there. I had a couple eyebrows like, oh, yeah, I'm raising my eyebrows. Now, what's funny is, for those of you who are older, when you were younger, you looked at your parents and you're like, my parents have no clue what's going on right now. Right? I remember some of you, some of you guys were the hippies. Remember that when you guys were hippies? Before we called you boomers, you were hippies. Right? And like, and you thought, man, everything was wrong. They did everything wrong. We had to fix all this stuff. And then sure enough, and you tried to fix everything. You got some things good and some things bad. And then you all had kids. And all, the, all your kids are like, my parents are nuts. Jesus is Pastor Daniel is so right. We do think that some of the things our parents or grandparents did was kind of screwy. And our children and grandchildren will probably think the same things about us. His point today was that as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't be like everyone else. We should be like Jesus. Governments and cultures and people will all get it wrong at some point. 
Jesus was the only one who loved and lived perfectly. Hey everybody, it's Pastor Daniel Fusco here, lead pastor at Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. Listen, we hope that this time of year brings you great hope and great joy. We also realize that with Christmas Day and New Year's Day being on a Sunday, many of you are going to be home and we have special online messages for you here at Crossroads at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So join us online, live.crossroadschurch.net from the comfort and safety of your own home. Gather your family around, grab a cup of coffee, and we can't wait to learn more that Jesus is real. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to jesusisrealradio.com and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue through this Christmas series. He'll help you process how the fact that Jesus came to earth as a baby in a manger should impact how you live your life now. You'll see that the reality that Jesus is real makes all the difference. Because of him, you can journey through life with confidence and conviction, not as one who gives in to the pull of the culture. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called The Promised King. Until then, may God bless.